it's one of those things, long range hunting, long range shooting, long range hunting especially can be a, you know, a personal preference issue, an ethical issue. And there's lots of opinions on that. Uh, and so I don't want to mean it to say that it's just a strictly long range uh, product. And overall, what it does is it increases your, your precision. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm Sam Weaver, host of today's Tipsy Tuesday, a short segment covering rockslide.com tidbits, hunting news from across the West, with just a sprinkling of tips and tricks to keep you well-informed for your next adventure. Today is a great lineup. Stephen Follett talks long range. Dione Amuchastagi takes us through his barrel swap. And Howard Mee lines us out with the Born Primitive Quiver Hoodie. But first things first, it's time. Idaho non-resident deer and elk tags for 2024 go on sale at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on December 1st. Tags can be bought online through GoOutdoorsIdaho.com, through the Idaho Fishing Game app, or in person at any of the licensed vendors. Be mentally prepared for this magical experience of waiting, waiting, and waiting some more, only to have the system crash. Good luck to everyone, except those of you racing me for my favorite unit. Also, a reminder, Oregon preference points for deer, elk, and antelope are available November 30th. Now, on with the show. All right, guys, today we have a special treat. We got long-time, long-range contributor on Rockslide, Stephen Follett. He's a part owner in LS Wild. He's going to come on and talk some long-range shooting tips with us today. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Sam. I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. I like uh, I like all the uh, Rockcast podcasts. I always listen to them and appreciate the uh, the Tipsy Tuesday. I like how it's short, abbreviated, and condensed. So looking forward to spending a few minutes with you. All right, I'm excited to get with you. Maybe some people haven't heard about LS Wild. Let's jump right into that. Tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do over there. Yeah, so I'll just. Uh, uh, jump just briefly me i shot 22 had a lot of fun I grew up as a kid in missouri shot squirrels and rabbits and small game but never big game hunted so i got into it and wanted to start coos hunting here and so i got i got a centerfire rifle and i read a bunch of things online and uh, chose my rifles just based upon what was there but then i started learning about long range shooting and so i got involved in some groups different forums online and met some really good people online and just dove into it. That's the way that I like to be. I like to dive into a topic and just really focus and learn and figure out what's truth and what's fiction. And so as I was going through that process, I jumped into uh, to PRS, mainly just local matches and, and started to learn and see what other people were doing. And I also like to create things. I tried lots of, diff lots of the different bags. 
for PRS, some of the positional shooting bags. There's, you know, great companies that, that they're the ranking bags, but some of them were so big, it felt like running up with a newborn baby, trying to lay it out there as a prop. And so I uh, created a few bags for myself, showed my forum friends on the long range. And so I started making some for them and, and started selling them. And so I started Thunderbird Long Range several years ago and was just strictly making long range shooting bags on the side. Uh, a couple years ago, I started making uh, bags and gear with my hunting partner, uh, Jason Tenney. And so we formed LS Wild and because we were going to because we ended up making and doing more than just the long range shooting bags. We've got rifle covers and different things. Uh, and so that's that's really where LS Wild is. It's kind of a small side project for me. I brought in my partner and we've really started to increase the offerings and try to do really creative, innovative things. Lots of other good companies out there making things, but we try to do something that's a little bit different. And so a lot of our products are just because I wanted something different. Like one of the popular on Rockside is the uh, the Triple S pillow. And so that's a that's a pillow that I made because I needed I wanted something to sit on. And I also use it for positional shooting to to build a position. And I can kind of explain that a little bit later. And I also use it as a pillow to sleep. So, you know, sitting, shooting and sleeping. So that's where the Triple S comes into into play. I backpack hunt and so I wanted it to be light and that's really LS Wild and so we just try to make new products that that really aren't on the market or we try to make things better, lighter, more useful for the way that a lot of rock sliders hunt, backcountry hunting. Yeah, I remember when I got the Thunderbird long range bag, it was one of the first bags that had the get light feel in it. That was really what kind of drew me to it is it was the lightweight, but you still got the stability out of it. You know, it was the first time I used a tapered bag and I really liked just the ease of being able to get it in and then use my rear hand and be more relaxed in my shooting position when I shot. So I did find it super innovative. I know that that bag's been around a while. We've kind of innovated past it, but but I still use it a lot. I'm a kind of a creature of habit. I think you might be referring to the uh, it's the wax canvas wedge bag that we make for long range only. Yeah, that's the bag I have. Yeah, and I have the flat, yeah, also the flat bag and the flat bag that that came about a partnership with uh, Jeff Brozovich over at uh, from Long Range Only, and he I was making bags again as Thunderbird, and he said, hey, I. I want a bag like this. And so he gave me the specifications and told me, hey, this is what I want it for. And this is what I want it to do. And it's it's really a great product for exactly what it is. And it's especially helpful for what you said in a prone position and you're out hunting and you really need that solid base, especially bigger rifles, bigger magnums, which is what Jeff sh shoots a lot, the 300 mags and, and the 338s with, with, a lot of, uh, with a lot of juice behind them. I got that bag just kind of I'm not really a long range shooter, but I wanted to kind of stretch my distance out, increase my opportunities. And when I paired that with a bipod, it really changed my whole way that I look at shooting and, and where I glass from. It's one of those things, long range hunting, long range shooting, long range hunting especially can be a you know a personal preference issue, an ethical issue. And there's lots of opinions on that. Uh, and so I don't want to mean it to say that it's just a strictly long range uh, product. And overall, what it does is it increases your your precision. And that's valuable, even if you're not doing long range shooting. If you're shooting out to 400 yards, I don't know that that's really long range shooting. I, I think that it can 
it, it requires a lot of the same things, but, but it just increases precision because it helps you manage the recoil, keep the rifle recoiling straight back. It also provides stability because recoil, you know, whenever we shoot, the barrel always goes up, right? That's the feeling that we have. And so as the barrel's going up, the, the back end also wants to go down. So with that wedge on, a, on the traditional stock for a hunting rifle, really supports that back end so that the rifle barrel isn't moving under recoil before the bullet leaves the barrel because that's part of precision is being able to hold the rifle in a consistent position when you're firing so that the rifle moves in the same direction as you're, as you're shooting. Well, that's a great segue into the rest of this show, which is basically going to be kind of what everybody I think is, is on their mind, whether they're doing it right now or they haven't started yet, but, but long range shooting, increasing opportunity. If you haven't started yet, what, what are some of the things that you would tell somebody new to this? That's a great question. I think what everybody goes to because it's something concrete, like that's the way their minds work is, okay, which gun is going to be able to help me shoot long range? What's the best bullet? What's the best cartridge? Should I shoot in MOA? Should I shoot in mill? Those are easy questions to ask because they're out there on the internet and because it's something that is, you know, concrete. Realistically, most guys could take their rifle and go out and shoot at 400, 500 yards. They may need to upgrade the scope a little bit, but pretty much any rifle that uh, is going to be a typical hunting cartridge is going to be is going to be effective, and you're going to be able to shoot that far. What I tell people is try not to get wrapped around the axle on those really technical questions. You may need to upgrade your scope because that's just a, a principal thing. But for long range shooting to be effective, you really want to focus on precision. And so there's cartridges that are more precise than others, but precision is going to include things like being able to build a position around the rifle system with your body so that you're shooting a consistent shot every time. And that's what I would tell people to focus on first is body position and mechanics. Because you can buy yourself into a better shooting platform, but if you can't control the rifle and if you can't press the trigger without disturbing the sights, then it doesn't matter what you what rifle or scope you have. And so that's the, the critical part. One of the tropes that I hear a lot is, yeah, I just press my trigger and I want to be surprised when the rifle goes off. Right? Have you ever heard that before, Sam? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So I say, you know, that's good. That's the best. That's, that's a really good thing that you can tell people because you don't want them to anticipate recoil when they're brand new beginners. But no expert marksman, no precision rifleman that I know is surprised when the rifle goes off. They've done so many dry fires that they know exactly when that rifle is going to go off. Right. Those are the things is getting people past what they think they know about shooting in general. And so whenever I take somebody out, that's what I try to do is just try to say, hey, listen, you have to you have to forget everything and start anew and be open, ask lots of questions and don't assume anything. So, so for somebody who's shoot, uh, new to long range shooting, it's it's be open and try to find trustworthy sources to help you understand how to build the position, how to how to shoot and how to do those things. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I think to sum it up, it's perfect practice makes perfect, right? So you have to understand what you need to do and then you need to go through the process, practice that way. So subconsciously, when you get ready to shoot, you've already done your form check, you've built your position like you need to. And, and that just comes from one, knowing what you need to do and two, doing it a lot of time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's lots of good information uh, out there about building positions and shooting and doing things. But 
it is about getting out there and practicing so that you're putting bullets down range and you realize, okay, I'm doing this. You know, a favorite trick is to, whether you do it yourself or somebody else loads a, uh, a blank or a fired cartridge to see what, you know, to check yourself for flinch. Uh, a lot of us deceive ourselves about flinch. I don't know, unless you shoot a lot, a lot, a lot, your, your, your body just natural, when there's an explosion inches from your face, there's a, there's a natural tendency to, to flinch and some of us overdo it, but becoming used to that and building it into the process. Uh, again, that, and that goes to being able to press the trigger and know right when it's going to go off. And so it doesn't surprise you. I want to talk about the new trend to go to lighter caliber. Traditionally, people thought you needed a bigger rifle to shoot a bigger bullet because the BCs were better. Now we understand that and they're making bullets with better BCs and smaller calibers. What's your take? Do you lean towards a lighter recoiling rifle with a, that can shoot a better BC bullet? I mean, that's kind of the trend in the world now. Definitely. Um, I learned early on that I wanted to spot my shots. That was that was a critical piece to me. Again, PRS has its contrived positions, and I remember shooting on a big bag of bouncy balls and thinking, how ridiculous is this? Like, that stage was ridiculous. But, but it taught me that being in a position to spot my shots was critical, and, and especially hunting, I wanted to be able to do that. Shot a, a 300, I had a 300 wind mag, and oh, that's a good rifle and a good round, and it is. But I realized that recoil was a little bit too much, and so, but I still believe that I needed a big bull, a bigger bullet. So I shot a, a 180 VLD out of my 7, seven rem mag, uh, and then I went to a short mag just for other reasons, but I was shooting at 180. I shot a coos deer at 730 yards as a hardcore grain, went through the shoulder, went through the guts, blew out the guts and put a giant hole looked like a looked like a crater filled with hamburger and grass on the on the offside corner I said man this bullet is way more than I need and, and that same bullet had killed elk out to out to a thousand yards and so I was comfortable with that but like you said, I was having the recoil. There's the epic thread on the 223, right? The 77 tipped match king on rock slide. And so I'd been converted to match bullets and I, I studied a lot uh, about the effect of, of bullet wounds. And I actually went to scholarly papal, papers by uh, trauma surgeons talking about rifle wounds and, and the effect of uh, of different bullets and things. And from that, I learned that the most devastating wounds were from uh, match bullets, like the burger, like the tipped match king, like the uh, ELDM, those types of bullets that fragment because tissue is damaged by, like an arrow, by cutting. Most of our soft tissue is very elastic. Livers aren't, but very elastic. When they shoot the ballistic gel blocks and it, and it makes a big temporary wound cavity, our soft tissue is actually elastic enough to stretch out and spring back. You might break capillaries and different things. And that's why the, the match bullets will turn lungs to jelly and different things. So seeing what my bullet had done, that it overdid and then seeing what the 223 was doing i dropped down because i wanted better recoil management i can shoot better and i can spot my shots so i went down to a 25 short magnum shooting the 133 so i wholeheartedly agree with that for my long range rifle it's a 25 sherman short tactical and i shoot uh, the burger 133 and the elevation is essentially the same as my 7 rem mag it does everything that I want. The wind isn't as good because because bullet weight matters for wind deflection. When it comes to, to the bullets, you're right. When you go heavy for caliber, you're going to get the higher BC. And the smaller bullets, you can push faster with less gunpowder. So that's less recoil. That's more precision. Because I want to be able to be confident in a shot to 700, uh, 800 yards. And obviously, the conditions come into that. 
if wind's a factor. Uh, I don't really like to shoot in, in high wind, but in the evenings and early mornings, wind is generally really, really calm uh, when the animals are out here in Arizona when it's 80, 90 degrees during the day. So that's that's why I shoot the, the, the lighter caliber. But I have another rifle that I built, which is a uh, little 6BRA, uh, the Benchrest Ackley Improved, and I shoot uh, a 95 grain, six millimeter Burger VLD. That's the rifle if I'm, if I'm gonna be walking in the woods or uh, hunting inside 500 yards. I go to my little six millimeter because it has no recoil and it has just a little bit more juice than a 223 so I can add a couple hundred yards. Essentially, I adopt and follow the, the principles that guide that, uh, that 223 thread, which is look at the distance you're gonna be shooting, look at the terminal velocity, look at wind and pick the bullet that you need and then find a cartridge that matches that. That's one of the, the different things that I will do uh, when people talk to me about long range shooting or wanna get into it as I say, how far do you wanna shoot? And then I go backwards from there. You know, you have to shoot it like you're there, up and down, across the canyon, in the in the wind that you're comfortable shooting in and make that call and see where it all shakes out. Yeah, and uh, to that point, one of the things that I started doing instead of going to the range was taking my rifle, taking my pack and setting up as if I was going on a hunt and I would carry my gear and I would walk and hike on a trail and then I would pick out a rock and I would say, okay, that's my deer and I'd pick out a spot on the rock and then I would drop down and practice setting up my gear, setting up my tripod, building a position, and then testing my cold bore shot. And then after testing my cold bore shot, if I was off, then I adjusted. And then I would try to think, okay, how's the wind moving down this canyon? Is it speeding up? Is it going faster? And how's that? And like I said, uh, I really dove deep into, into these topics to, to learn. I consider myself a, more of a long range student as opposed to anything else. But as a student, I really focused on learning. So I actually went and studied quite a few different resources with wildfires. The explanations for wildfire will explain the way that wind moves across the landscape, up canyons, because when a wildfire burns, it doesn't just burn everything. The wind will blow up a canyon, and so it might burn one side of the of the canyon, but the other side of the canyon will be completely left alone because the way that the wind blew. Those are things that I learned is that the way that wind, as it hits a mountain and it goes up to go over the mountain, it's going to compress. If the wind is behind you, if you're shooting across a canyon and it's coming behind you, you might think, oh, I don't have to worry about wind because I don't have a crosswind. When you're shooting into that wind, as the bullet is slowing down on the other side of the canyon, the wind is actually coming up the mountain and as it compresses, it has to go faster. It's like sticking your finger over the end of a garden hose. As soon as you stick your finger over the end of the garden hose, it goes faster. Knowing how wind flows over terrain features is another key because if you don't understand that and factor that in, you might not know to, to hold a little bit low. And it becomes like a wind call. This is my regular dope in no wind conditions but if you recognize that the wind's coming behind me and you can see signs of the wind on the vegetation uh, depending upon the time of day you can see pollen and spider webs if you've ever glassed for a long time you can see those blowing through the air and different things like that so it's being able to see and understand those things as part of long range shooting and yeah that was one of the things that Rockslide did they had a cold bore challenge in the spring and i shot it you know it really opened my eyes to maybe I was overestimating my shooting skills. And I think part of that was, you know, nobody wants to go out there and shoot when the conditions are shitty, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I yeah. do pretty good when it's a nice day out, the conditions are predictable. Yeah, I look pretty good. But 
when I get out there in, in hunting conditions where, you know, anything can happen, I realize that I need to reel my expectations back down because I just frankly don't practice enough. And I surely don't practice enough in those conditions. That's the important part is being, being competent and confident to, to make that, to make that shot. I think it's fun long range shooting and adding the ability to, to effectively harvest an animal at long range in, in certain circumstances makes, makes sense. So my goal here is just to give people an idea so they know where to start and so that they understand what goes into it to be a well-educated consumer and where to go and where to start. You know, it's all about fundamentals. You yeah. To have a solid base to work off of once you have perfected your fundamentals, you're a better shot at 100 yards. You're definitely a better shot beyond that. So it only behooves you to work on yourself, to work on the fundamentals and to practice a lot. Yeah. The Rockcast is powered by the number one GPS hunting app in the industry, Onyx Hunt. The Onyx Hunt Elite subscription will provide way more value than the $100 annual fee will cost you, and that's before you apply the 20% Rockcast promo code. You'll use Onyx on every hunt, every planning session, and now save money with exclusive deals on gear from the industry's best. Onyx Elite also includes application and draw odds tools, educational resources for all species, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage, and now Canada. Onyx Hunt Elite is trusted by millions. Onyx has also released new features to help make hunters more successful. Already known for nationwide public and private land ownership and being a fully functional GPS without service, Onyx Hunt has just released new aerial imagery options like Leaf Off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back and imagery on demand. On top of that, Onyx is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates Onyx has for this hunting season. So try Onyx Hunt for free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com and use promo code ROCKCAST for 20% off your new Onyx Hunt membership. The most improvement that I ever made actually was when I dedicated myself to dry fire and I built a little uh, PRS prop that had two by fours and things cut and at different angles and different height. And I had uh, some old barrels here in the backyard. So I shot off of the barrels and I shot off of those things is when I dedicated myself to learning how to build a solid position and breaking the trigger without moving the sights. That was by far the best work that I ever did, I think, to improve my shooting skill. So I didn't fire any bullets, but I learned how to build a position. I learned how to make sure that I was able to su support myself. And that's one of the things with uh, with the bags that we have and why I, one of the uses of that triple S pillow is, you know, the most stable position is when you're laying on the ground and the, and the ground is supporting your body and you have your body supported and then your rifle supported. So when you're building a position in the field, the idea is to get as much support as you can. And that's why you can stuff a, the triple S pillow underneath an arm or underneath a leg, learning how to take your pack and using your pack to lean on and support and with a tripod and trekking poles and different things, learning how to build that position is, is a huge part of of being successful in the field. There's no one specific best way to do it. There's just lots of ways and which is gonna work the best for you.
We're going to have to have you back on. But before we sign off, uh, let's talk about your cover photo there. Looks like a deer, maybe a coyote. Eight. Why don't you give us the rundown on that? Yeah, that was uh, that was last year uh, hunting down off the uh, border. We were about a mile from the border and uh, we'd spent several days hunting and really hadn't seen a whole lot hunting coos deer. The uh, coos whitetail in Arizona, those things are barely bigger than a big dog. They're they're called the gray ghosts because they're just hard to spot, hard to find. We glassed up a group of bucks, and that was one of the uh, one of the better bucks. But it was getting towards the evening. They get up and they'll feed up, obviously, right before. Uh, once it starts, the sun starts to go down and it starts to cool off. And, you know, we're in short sleeve shirts because it's warm even in uh, November when we were hunting. I shot it at, uh, it was at about 540 yards. Again, it was a cross canyon shot. I really didn't have the time or ability to get closer. It was the, the first set of bucks that we had seen. And I got a solid hit and we had heard the uh, report because I shoot suppressed. I uh, love suppressors. Uh, buy one right now if you if you don't have one and uh i knew that i'd got a shot and i saw it go down and it went about 20 yards into uh into a juniper but the light was such that i i knew that it went there and it didn't go out uh and i had two other uh, uh there spotting and they knew that it didn't go out so we knew that it just laid up under that under up up under a juniper and so i didn't want to disturb it let it die and so we went back that morning and uh we walked in to our glassing our glassing spot and saw the coyotes tugging away at it and then we hiked over there and by the time we got over there the uh, coyotes had eaten everything out of it uh completely gutted it for me and eaten everything out up to the uh to the esophagus and they're so tiny i just threw it over my shoulders and and hiked it out that was a great adventure yeah they did a number on that thing that's kind of a cool photo we're able to salvage some meat at least they had just eaten the organs and uh some of the guts even so i was able to yeah save all four quarters they hadn't actually gotten into any of the meat that uh that i wanted to uh to eat uh tasted great all right steven appreciate you coming on dropping some knowledge here about long-range shooting like i said we'll have you back on uh, chase down some of these other rabbit holes. If people want to get a hold of you, uh, I know we talked that they can find you on Rockslide at here in Arizona. Uh, you got any other places they can find you? Uh, yeah, so LS Wild LLC on Facebook and Instagram. We're uh, we're available there. Some of our content is up there. Our website is lswild.com. And again, for any of our uh, rock sliders, I'm I'm much more active on on rock slide, so that's a great place to uh, to hit me up. Again, if you guys haven't checked out LS Wild, any of their products, uh, they make shooting bags, scope covers, a lot of innovative stuff over there. Go ahead and there's a, be a link in the show notes. Check it out. Thanks, Sam. All right, thanks, Stephen. All right, guys, I saw this uh, how-to article on the Rockslide homepage from Deonia Muchastagi, uh, do-it-yourself, tick a barrel swap. And I thought it was uh, pretty intimidating when you think about it, but how he broke it down in his article uh, really simplified it. And so I want to bring him on and ha- just kind of have him tell us a little bit about it. So welcome to the show, Deoni. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so... Tell us a little bit about this uh, tick a barrel swap. What made you decide to do it yourself? Well, kind of the the idea behind it was something I I was personally interested in. I'm, I'm not you know I'm not a rock slide writer per se, but I've done a handful of articles here and there whenever something really just kind of sparks my interest, and I pitch it to Robbie or Ryan, and and I'd noticed like there was a lot of different you know piecemeal places to get information on how to do this, but I hadn't found like a really good one-stop shop. You know, this goes over all the different options or at least, at least the majority of them and breaks it down in a, 
you know, clean, concise, uh, like start to finish. This is most of what you need to be able to do this kind of project. So I'd spend a lot of time bouncing around on the internet, trying to find the information to do this. And then I got to think, it's like, man, this would be a good one to do a review on and, and just kind of put everything together in one place and, you know, kind of take some of the mystique away from it and make it, you know, make it, I guess, known what it is and what it isn't. Cause it seemed a lot more intimidating than it really was. Once I got into it, it's a pretty easy process and, and it just, people, people needed a little bit more information put together in one spot where it's easy to find. Yeah. That's the first thing I noticed that it, it sounds very intimidating. And then the way you broke it down makes it uh, sound like if you're ha- halfway handy, you can make it happen there. So yeah, I think pretty much anybody ought to be able to do this if they try to. It's not a scary process. It's not a super involved process, and there's not a whole lot there to screw up. If uh, if the parts are made right, it's pretty easy to confirm that everything fits right, and um, and if it's wrong, it's also pretty easy to confirm that, and then and then go from there too. So it's not like there's a there's a big middle ground of uh, you know questionable areas it's it's pretty straightforward so i guess the first part of the process is deciding uh what caliper you want to shoot and then deciding who's going to make your barrel for you yeah so that's you know the caliber question there every everybody's got their opinion and they're all right if you ask them but <laughs> i i was wrong on that go around i'm actually building another one right now i'm going to be doing a 22 creed more that I'm going to start hunting with. I think the seven PRC is really cool. And it, you know, it's a, it's a ballistic monster on paper, but as far as shootability goes, it was a little bit hard for me to spot impacts with. So I'm, uh, I'm changing direction on that dozen different cartridges people can pick and, and they're all right for whatever, for whatever they're wanting to do. But, um, you know, the, the next step's figuring out who's going to do it. And that was another thing that I'd noticed was kind of uh, problematic is you've got a handful of barrel manufacturers who you can buy a prefit from and you may or may not like the uh, the barrel blank option they have and come to find out that unknown munitions will actually take uh, whatever barrel you want and they'll chamber it up for you as a prefit. So that was kind of a cool thing to work through in this process. So, you know, the sky's the limit, basically. Pretty much any barrel is available out there. And, you know, you, some, some of the prefit manufacturers out there are great and I've, I've heard good things about most of them. Um, and then you can, you can literally pick whatever barrel you want at this point and send it over to unknown and they'll chamber it up for you. So that was another cool option to find out too. How did you decide on, on who manufactured your barrel? Did you have a process or had good luck with them or what? So I, I just wanted to pick a, a, a reputable barrel maker. Bartline's been around for a long time and I've, I've had a couple of their barrels and they've shot well. So, uh, that's why I went with them. I wanted a cut rifle barrel, um, you know, there's there's opinions either way on on button pull versus cut rifle, and and I think cut rifle are probably more consistently better. You know, you'd probably have to have a big big sample size to be able to prove that. But this rifle shoots really well, and and uh, I'm happy with the barrel choice I made. I guess so. I wanted a cut rifle, and Bartline had a good reputation, so I picked them. Yeah, I also have one of their barrels. So they do make an awesome barrel. You went on to talk about flute or not to flute, or tell us a little bit about that decision. Yeah, so that was something I kind of stumbled into because I, I really like a straight fluted barrel. And then I got to thinking, well, if they're pre-fitting it, there's no way to know where those threads align. You know, if you buy if you buy like a bat action, they have the the action threads are timed. So you can you can get a straight fluted barrel and they'll and you know that they'll align to that action. But on a Tika action, you know, everything's made really precise, but they don't align the threads. So the starting point of that thread 
could be anywhere in that chamber rotationally. So if you go with like a straight fluted barrel, you don't know where the flutes are going to line up. You know, I go over some different options that guys have for, for doing a spiral fluted barrel or, you know, some, some of the other things that you can do. But yeah, that was just something that I wanted to point out and, and make known that a guy doesn't go down that path and then realize that, yeah, this looks kind of goofy. Yeah, I had a straight fluted barrel. And when I put a new barrel on, I, did, I didn't do straight flutes again. But if you're going to make something semi-custom like pre-fitting a barrel, it just makes your, just gives your rifle a little bit bling. That's about the only benefit you give get from it, I would say. Well, for me, one of the things I wanted was to be able to run a 5.8-24 muzzle device. So if you're doing that, you're kind of stuck with a certain barrel diameter at uh, at whatever your desired length is you have to run a heavier contour to accomplish that or at least going through this process i originally thought that so i i went with the heavy spiral fluted to get the weight down and it saved a fair amount of weight i want to say it was somewhere between six and eight ounces it took off of the barrel talking with form off of the website he actually pointed out that you can have a lighter contour that's made with a flare at the end. So that's what I'm trying to do on my next barrel. And it'll just be, uh, you know, bulged out at, you know, 22 inch mark where I'm going to finish this next barrel. And then it'll accept a 5 8 24 thread. So it'll give me the lightest possible contour while still achieving that, that muzzle device size. You kind of went through a little bit on the, on the difference between the actions, the earlier, just the T3 and then the T3X. Can you go give us a few details on that? Yeah, so the, the biggest difference, I guess, that most people would notice is the ejection port size is a little bit bigger on the t3x functionally speaking when you're doing a barrel swap everything is the same as far as dimensionally they're they're going to fit they'll both fit a pre-fit the reputation that tika's got for being notoriously hard to swap barrels on comes from the original t3 sounds like they used to actually put loctite on the threads and they were torqued to about 150 foot pounds so they're really really tough to get off compared to the t3x i think i've taken four of the t3x's apart now and they've all been relatively easy to get apart but if you do have an older t3 plan on it being a little bit more difficult process you pursue them you cherish them and now it's time to protect them this is the mule deer foundation our mission is the conservation of mule deer, black-tailed deer and their habitats, the heart and soul of the West. Join the herd today and help us preserve the legacy of these majestic creatures for generations to come. Your membership supports essential conservation projects, research initiatives, and educational programs that secure a future for mule deer and black-tailed deer. Our deer, our heritage, our responsibility. Don't just witness their journey, be a part of it. Join the herd. Together, we can make a difference. Visit muledeer.org today. Good to know. And then that's one of the things that Tiki is known for is kind of just being a one size fits most. You talked a little bit about the bolt face sizes, choices that they offer. You want to cover that a little bit? Yeah. So you've got, you've got three different options that come with the Tikas. You've got a, a 223 bolt face and then standard uh, rifle, which will fit your 308, um, 6.5 Creedmoor, 6 Creedmoor, 270, 30-06. They changed the bolt stops out to get the different action lengths. The actions are all the same length. And then you've got the Magnum option also, which um, you know fits 270 short mag, 300 short mag, 300 wind mag, all, the, all those Magnum cartridges. And again, they just changed that bolt stop out for the different action lengths. 
and obviously have different magazines to accompany those. So pretty much whatever you got can be made to work with whatever. And I've interchanged bolts. I've you know I've purchased used bolts and and interchanged them, measured headspace and everything. Everything fits fine from action to action that I've swapped around. You definitely want to do a double check if you're changing parts around. I've had good luck at, at least swapping bolts between two guns. Yeah, that's pretty precise machining uh, straight from the factory, so that's pretty impressive. I guess just kind of walk us through us, uh, kind of how you got the barrel off, what what kind of tools you needed and, and that. I knew I was going to be doing this a fair amount, so I ended up buying uh, a, a Wheeler outside action wrench and a Viper barrel vise. Uh, I think they were both about 65 bucks a piece. I can't remember off the top of my head. I have a buddy that I helped do one, and he ended up using a 20-ton shop press and a phone book and just took some v-blocks and clamped his barrel inside that phone book with those v-blocks and was able to get it off doing that and a crescent wrench so there's there's a lot of different ways to do it i i took the easy way by buying the right tools but uh and i go through a number of different options that guys have in that article um there's quite a few ways to do it some of them, you know, buying no new tools for the average guy or, or you know, you can, you can go even more elaborate than I did and buy an inside action wrench and, you know, call it a uh, barrel vise. I, I went for the simplest meat and potatoes version that I could for a guy who's going to do it a few times. Pretty cheap. Yeah. You know, having the right tool for the job really saves you a bunch of time, you know, when you're doing a project yourself, especially when you're a little unsure having the right tool gives you that boost of confidence there, but uh, saving the time is, is a big deal. So what'd you do when you installed a new barrel? I mean, was it just kind of a reverse procedure of taking the old one off? Yeah, literally screw the old one off, clamp the new barrel in the vise and, and screw the action on. And then I just kind of torqued it by feel and made it tight. Spent a lot of time torquing stuff. So I had a good idea what, what around 80 foot pounds felt like. And I just reefed on it. It's There's no real consequence for making it too tight. I just made it good and tight. But yeah, researching it as much as I did, you see different torque specs for installing a barrel there's some guys that'll run them hand tight which i wouldn't recommend but uh you see anything from hand tight all the way up to 150 foot pounds i think as long as you make it good and tight on there you're probably pretty safe yeah i just decided i avoid the step of buying an inside action wrench so i could torque it and i just make it make it really tight once you got all the pieces together the action in the barrel then uh, you're ready to put it back together and check if it the headspace right uh, what tools did you use for that? I ended up going off of a Hornady uh, shoulder length comparator, which, which you just measure a factory cartridge with, and uh, basically took a factory loaded cartridge and measured that, made sure it was obviously under SAMI minimum chamber spec. And then I added clear uh, packing tape to the back of it, and it's about two thousandths per layer. And I added that packing tape until the bolt started to feel like it had resistance to closing. And then I knew that was the actual depth of my chamber. So I knew what the cartridge measured beforehand, and I knew what the length that it stopped at was. So basically that told me how, how deep is my chamber, and it was uh, the depth of my chamber was inside SAMI spec, which I added a link to on the article. You can look up the uh, chamber dimensions from SAMI, and they have uh, about a 10,000th range, sometimes less, on uh, an allowable chamber depth and that was basically my go no go gauge so you can rent go no go gauges or buy them or if you've got that equipment you can uh, you can actually measure and just know what the actual depth of your chamber is once you get it and once you check it i mean then you just take it out and see how it shoots i guess huh yeah yeah you're, you're pretty much got to put together checked out gun at that point went and did load work up on it and gun shot great yeah it's kind of cool it was a fun project start to finish and before i had that one even done i'd I'd picked up a, a used 6.5 PRC barrel and, and put together another Tika. And now I've done, like I said, I've done two or three more 
since then. So it's it's fun gun assembling. Sounds like it. I might have to give it a, a try myself. All right. If anybody wants to ask you any questions about this, where can they find you at? So I'm on Rockslide. I think I'm just Dione uh, A on Rockslide. And obviously, if you comment on that article, I've got notifications set up. I'm happy to answer any questions. There's already been some good feedback from a bunch of other people, and I'd love uh, I'd love for that post to become an interactive place where people can go through and uh, and and use as a sounding board for any questions they have doing a Tika barrel swap, or if you've got other input, something I might've missed, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not a professional gunsmith. So I'd, I'd hope that it can become a one-stop shop for any rock sliders that want to do this project and, and get all of the information they'd need to confidently take on this project on Instagram, but I don't spend too much time on there. And I think it's just wild underscore Idaho. If you want to follow me on there, but uh, for sure, spend more time on rock slide. And I'm happy to answer any questions people have on that. I appreciate you making the time one to do a thorough review and two to come on the show and tell us about it. Yeah. I uh, appreciate it, Dione. Just as a shout out, anybody that hasn't seen his Instagram, uh, go over there and see some of these deer he's killing. He's a big deer slayer. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks. All right. Moving on to reviews. We're lucky to catch up with Howard Mead in between one of his late season hunting trips. Howard's going to talk to us about his review he did on the Born Primitive Outdoor Quiver hoodie. Welcome to the show, Howard. Thanks, man. Good to be here. I also have this quiver hoodie in I think I mentioned it a few times, but this is one of my, the pieces I wore the most the entire season this year. I, I really just fell in love with this thing. So let's go through your review. Um, I've gotten a lot of time uh, in the field, in the quiver, all of archery season. So Montana has an early antelope season, archery antelope you can apply for. Starts the middle of August. And so I got all of archery season and up until now in, got a couple of weeks left in November to finish out the season. It's one of the pieces I've worn the most. I probably wore it more than the Frontier pants, but I love it, man. It's a, it's a good fit. They have it listed, I think, as an early season and then a late season base layer. A mid layer for early season and a base layer for late seasons. And so for me, it would I would categorize it one season later on both accounts. So wearing it just straight as a standalone piece, early archery, it was too hot. You know, we were in eastern Montana looking for mule deer. My son was hunting and it was just, it was too much. I spent early season in the their sun shirt more than, than the quiver. Um, towards the end of archery season, you know, you get those colder, crisp mornings during elk season, stuff like that. So middle to end of September, I started to wear it as a standalone. And I haven't worn it much as a base layer until middle to end of October. It has a unique feature. It has the a collar. They called it a high neck snorkel collar. I love the collar feature. You zip it up. It keeps your neck warm. You know, I lose you lose a ton of heat off the back of your neck, and so it, it would cover the back of my neck and give me that coverage to help me stay warm in the mornings. I could still hear bugles. I could still listen to the things that were around me. And then, of course, you still have the hoodie if winds start to really rip and you actually need it. So it kind of gave me like an in between phase from you know zip down sleeves up when it's hot and you're hiking till you get to where you're going to go and set up a little bit. You zip it up, pull the sleeves down and pull that collar tight. I like that feature. It was really cool. I think I called it a risky design in my review and it I think it turned out to be a great design. I haven't worn a hoodie that had that high collar either. Like you, I really, I thought it was interesting when I first started to use it, but then I realized, you know, I utilize it a lot. Around here in, in the late season, I usually have like a neck gaiter, a silk 
neckerchief type thing I'll put I'll take with me when I'm hunting to pull put on my neck because I don't necessarily need the layers when I'm hiking but I want that neck protection and I haven't used that this year I've just used the quiver used the hood used the collar it's, it was great um, the other thing I mentioned in my review are the the thumb loop I felt like I was taking a risk kind of mentioning it because I don't know if everybody has strong opinions on thumb loops when they just put a little small loop on the end I just wish almost it wasn't even there because you don't really use it. The quiver has sleeves that are long enough that you can wear the thumb loop and it covers the back of your hand. It's actually comfortable. And if you look at the photos, the thumb loop design goes up the sleeve probably three inches, maybe four inches before it arcs around to the end of the cuff. It was an impressive feature. I liked it. I actually use the thumb loops other than when I'm layering up. I actually will hunt with the thumb loops on and that, that was a unique feature. Yeah, I used it a lot. We had a warm season here too and one uh, rifle elk season opened up. You know, there were still a lot of bugs out and I found myself trying to protect the back of my hands from mosquitoes in October, which is unheard of, but using the thumb loops. I used it a lot and I do think the nature of the material, you kind of do have to have something to hold the sleeve down when you layer over the top of it. Just grabs and, and pulls a little more than some of the other materials. Right? It's not a slick exterior feature. Like their ridgeline um, base layers are super like slick and smooth and like when you're wearing it like I pointed out the tundra jacket just sort of slides over that ridgeline layer the quiver has a lot of pilling it doesn't look bad but it's it's noticeable there's a lot of that pilling on the exterior so you're right it, it is grippy when you're pulling pulling layers over the top for sure and I noticed the pilling too but when I look at a close inspection it doesn't seem as as bad when i look at it closely but from far away it, it just kind of looks fuzzy it's not like pilling that you would get when you're wearing a wool layer like it's it seems different i don't know what else to call it you get the little tufts of material sticking up there in that early season archery hunt you know you sit down and you you're glassing and then you get bored and you lay back and you take a nap in that warm sun it takes you a good bit of time when you get back to camp to pull all the <laughs> all the grass out like it's definitely velcro-y when it comes to the vegetation that's around you but i don't know how to describe it it's just different than the pilling i see on wool when i'm looking at it uh he's got it on right now it looks like the squares of of the grid material like in the corners of the squares is is kind of where it started to pill i can kind of make out the grid design just looking at it right now you you totally can so that grid tech they call it what it does is it creates you have little squares on the inside of the material that rest against your skin like a checkerboard. Think of it more like tile on a tile kitchen or something like that. And that grout line, in <laughs> the grout line between the grids on the material creates channels of air. So there's a lot of spacing between those, the grids, the grids on the inside of the material that create airspace between your skin and the quiver. We talked about how it creates the loft so that it keeps heat in. But also as a outer layer, I thought it breathed pretty well. It did. And that was another thing I noticed early season is when I'm wearing it early season standalone, I'll sweat. And then as it's, it kind of starts to wick it away a little bit, and then you, you catch times when the material breaks contact with your skin, you're, you're bending over and then you stand up. And when that material touches you again, you can feel the moisture on the inside of the squares. It hasn't like it hasn't fully vented yet. But when it stays tight to your skin, that those air channels 
seem to vent away the moisture really well. And it's back to what you were originally saying, it's just those squares that are touching your skin that are pilling. Those channels, those little straight line, the, the wide grid piece is what doesn't pill. And I don't, I'm not sure why that is. The one thing I did also notice uh, with this grid pattern is when I sweated it up, it dried fairly quickly, which really made it a, a super nice piece to wear. It doesn't absorb moisture. Like when you're hiking in it and you're getting super sweaty, you don't get, I don't get big sweat ring marks around the armpits. Like it doesn't absorb moisture, but it, it definitely wicks away the moisture. And I don't know how to process that difference in my mind, but that's what you experience when you wear it. Definitely dries pretty quick. And I think part of the reason that I, I wore it so much, you know, I don't know that it did everything, anything really exceptional, but it did everything pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's comfortable. I liked that it was comfortable. It's not scratchy. Yeah. It's, it's very, very multi-purpose layer for sure. So one of the cons, one of the downsides to the, the half zip hoodie is it doesn't have any pockets and it didn't affect me, but I'm like, I have to, I have to mention that because that is something that people should know. Like you, I really didn't notice it when I wore it out in the field and whatnot and was like, man, I really wish I had whatever, a cargo pocket, a kangaroo pouch or something. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't notice it at all. All right, Howard. So going forward, you'll be using this uh, quiver again next season? I'll probably use it next season, but we still have two weeks here in November, and then we'll roll straight into chasing wolves, most likely. So I'll use this the rest of the winter for sure, and then... It'll just be in my collection, part of my normal rotation for next season. All right. If you guys have any questions for Howard, I'll link the review article in the show notes. Other than that, how can uh, people find you there, Howard? Um, Rockslide's the best spot. And if you want to find Howard on Rockslide, you can find him at Howard Me. Perfect. All right, Howard. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, man. We'll see you. All right, closing out. I hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving. I'm actually packing up to leave for round two of my Montana Sheep Saga. Rolling out for the 900-mile drive on the busiest travel weekend in America. Hope the weather holds and I can beat the snowstorm. Either way, I gotta give it a try. Hope I come home with a great story and a cooler full of sheep. Until next time, this has been Sam Weaver. Sam Weaver.